welcome to the Let's All Flourish podcast. Today we are talking about youth sports, the importance of organized youth sports, and possibly we've got this break, the importance of reimagining youth sports right now while we have a chance to do just that. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I mean, let's face it, it was awesome. I have memories of grass fields and sprinklers going, which is a little different than turf and playing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I know that we're saving water and different things, but playing basketball and softball and running track and watching my brother play baseball and football. And he also ran track. My parents never missed a game. And I grew up on a naval base out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. I know, let's just picture that for a minute, 120 degrees the day we drove into town. It was awesome, though. I wouldn't have changed a minute of it. It seemed at the time like everyone's dad was a coach. And that was also incredible. High school games, football, and basketball were so much fun. Everyone was involved. No one was excluded. The games were packed because that's what you did. Because if you weren't playing, you were watching. You were, or you were cheering, or you were in the band, or your parents were working the snack bar. Everyone was involved in some way. And yes, there were peewee leagues that led up sometimes if it was football or there were little leagues and pony leagues involved if it was baseball. And if you didn't play these sports, that was okay. There were the typical, there were swim leagues, there was soccer, although it was certainly nothing like soccer is now. Some kids danced or did gymnastics or martial arts. Um, Again, nothing like it is now. Also, since we lived in the desert, kids rode BMX bikes and motorcycles like crazy. Um, And if you lived at the beach, we had friends that moved and lived at the beach. You were at the beach and you learned to surf and there was skateboarding. Skateboarding was huge. Roller skating was huge. Riding your bike was huge. I rode my bike everywhere and you had the time. Now I'm talking about kind of extracurricular, right? You had the time to just play outside until the streetlights came on. And you were exhausted from playing tag or doorbell ditchum or kickball or wiffle ball or some other street game that involved everyone on your street. And oh, by the way, side note, if you haven't listened to my husband's episode yet, you should, because he talks about how his family literally rode their bikes everywhere, all over California. That's a side note. But no one traveled for their sports. Again, alluding to the free time that people had. Families didn't vacation for their kids' sports. Their Thanksgiving wasn't centered around the sporting event. Their summer wasn't consumed with the sport. The weekends weren't consumed with sport. The coaches were usually someone's mom or dad or a teacher at school and was very well respected by the kids and the families. I can think now of coaches that have passed away that are still mourned. I think so fondly 
about my junior high basketball coach. I mean, that's amazing, right? But Mrs. Cop played such a big part of my life in seventh and eighth grade. Two years of my life. And she was huge. That's pretty amazing. Practice was over before dinner, and we were home in time for dinner. Life was easy, and everyone still had time to do their homework and chores after dinner. Chores. Imagine that. You know who made sure of that? The coaches. A coach never would have dreamed of saying, practice is over when I say it's over, and live to tell about it with a mom or a dad from the 70s or 80s. We grew up enjoying weekends with our families and friends, having summer jobs, taking trips, having hobbies, having balance. We had free time. And our teams still made it to CIF championships. We were good kids and we were great athletes. We would like to thank Let's All Flourish for sponsoring our podcast today. Let's All Flourish is a health and wellness company impacting wellness for families around the world. Oh my gosh, you guys, I think we are now in 14 countries around the world. We would just like to thank our global community. So exciting. Let's All Flourish provides workshops and lectures on lifestyle, exercise, attitude, and nutrition to corporate and private clients, as well as schools. There is no better time than right now to host a workshop on the food and health connection or on social and emotional learning or emotional intelligence for your students or employees. Let's all focus on our health and well-being and flourish. For more information, contact Let's All Flourish at gmail.com. Today we are talking to Cassie Faith, and Cassie received her bachelor's degree in recreation administration from California State University, Fresno, and a master's in recreation therapy from California State University, Chico. Cassie has three high school and college-age boys and has participated in, coached, and taught the sport of swimming since she was in high school herself. She was amazing swimming. I remember. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You were. (laughs) Making sports and recreation opportunities available to all is a goal that she believes healthy communities should strive for. I love Cassie and I'm thrilled for her to be on the show with us today. What we are going to be talking about with Cassie is studying the importance of play and kind of the changes that have been going on with sports. And we've all seen it happening. If you're about our age, let's say between the ages, I would say of like 40 to 50, would you agree? Yeah, or even up to 60. Mm -hmm. Yeah, up to 60. And kind of where play has become... And sports, let's say organized sports, has become more about grooming the kids for college scholarships and maybe even becoming professional athletes instead of like when we were young and having it be more about learning how to be collaborative and building character and just moving and having fun. 
So that's what brings us together today. And if you want to add anything to that, please jump in now, or we will just start talking. What do you think? You want well, to I, yeah, of course okay. I have something to add. I'm a teacher. So I think absolutely that perspective is understood by so many. And just to elaborate on that, when we were younger, the, the focus was... Uh, on participation and participation oh. levels in um, recreation at all. And so not necessarily just sports. And I just want people who are listening to understand that as a recreation administration or management of recreational experiences and opportunities, that that is my focus. It does include more than sports. So even though um, we're talking about sports today, I also recognize the value of believing or participating in like theater and music and um, martial arts and arts and crafts and painting and, you know, whatever it is that floats your boat that you participate in that builds community, that's recreation. But for purposes of this discussion, we're going to focus on sports. And I just want people to understand I'm an advocate of all of that. But my life is revolved around sports. And I'm keenly aware of, also because I coach high school swimming, aware of the changes in attitude towards athletics. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I remember when, you know, I first talked about putting this show together that you had said what we do in our free time. Say it again, like... We tend to to value, figure out who our values or what our value is based on how we spend our free time. We all we all identify ourselves with whatever it is we do, but outside of that, who we are and how we develop is identified with how we spend our free time. Yes, I, and I love that you had said that because, and then in my brain had immediately gone to. My free time. We have no free time. <laughs> this was, of course, thinking, you know, pre-COVID. And with COVID, a lot of us have more free time. But, and that's what we had done with our kids, right? Yes. I think so much of what we've done as parents is we don't want them to have free time. Sometimes. Right. We're afraid of them having free time. And I think <laughs> a lot of that is device-driven we don't want them to be on devices. So, okay, let's put them on a field or whatever. And this boy, that could be a whole other show. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. And that free time, I mean, we are now seeing it post-COVID. We have this opportunity right now to reimagine sports and how they fit into kids' lives and into our own lives, too, because you're absolutely right. We have the typical high school kid who was participating in something that was extracurricular. They go to school basically eight to three. They then participate in two or three hours after school in that sport or that activity. And then they go home. And if there's someone who is either struggling with school academically or is pursuing a higher level of academics, there's this mountain of homework. And I had many of our athletes telling us they were up till 11 or midnight the night before. And then we're expecting them to perform at a higher level physically. It just doesn't make sense. Right. So reimagining sports, let's start there. That's a great place for us to kick it off. Yeah, absolutely. So I just recently hit on to the Aspen Institute, which takes on a, a wide range of activities, but really is about, ultimately is about building community. And one of the things that they've established is project play. And there is 
their focus with Project Play at this point is reimagining school sports. And so I've been attending and reading through some of the things I haven't been able to attend. So I just read the conclusions that I've come to. But some of the, the statistics are kind of shocking in that in high school, specifically high school sports is what they're reimagining and how high school age people need to participate in things that are physically active. And so how do we how do we involve more kids in high school sports? Well, right now, nationwide, only 39% of students are involved in anything physical. 39%. 39%. Does that include PE at like when, or is that just after school sports? Or? Just after school, okay. like PE is the only activity that they're getting. So, like a lot of the times, so no offense to our PE teachers. But. No, they're doing, they're kind of swimming against the current. Right. It's hard they're, to get them to move. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of toy around in my head, because I have friends who are adaptive PE teachers, high school PE teachers, sports uh, coaches, that sort of thing. I start thinking, well, how do we how do we reinvent that wheel? And really what we see in elementary school is the removal of physical activity in place so that tests can score higher, that it becomes so much more about scoring higher on tests as a school that we put aside the development of the human part of our student, which is physical and artistic and social and emotional and all those things. And one of the things that we remove from that is physical education. The school where my students, where my sons went, there was no PE teacher, no formalized PE structure at all. I saw ours as well. Yeah. And that's a shame because there's so much academic benefit to physical activity. Just one little thing is that the ability to play catch, catch a ball and throw it to an object and have it be a, a precise throw assists in developing reading skills. Yes. Because it's eye-hand coordination, it's eye-mind coordination with the reading. And then things as simple as I've noticed in the sport of swimming, the ability to count repetitions, to do the math, and yeah, there's a lot of math and a lot of pattern in swimming workouts. The ability to do that thing translates to the understanding of things like algebra, because there's a lot of patterns in math. So those physical activities don't have to be for people who are physically skilled. They need to be for everybody. That and, and along with, and then I automatically go to the mental health mm-hmm. of it as well, because right, my show, I always want to talk about like the optimal well-being, the optimal health of everyone. Right. I believe that if you're moving your body, you're mind is also going to benefit from that. So then I'm thinking if only 39% of high schoolers are moving. I know it's sad. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a hundred percent of high school because especially because they're young. Mm -hmm. And I remember, so I have a, I'm really passionate about this because I had the unique opportunity to participate in sports at the collegiate level. Now, if I were to pursue from high school, the times that I had in high school into college swimming now, 
there's no way I could find a place to swim. My times just wouldn't translate. I got the opportunity to, at Fresno State, to enter into a swim team that was dying and the coach was leaving. And I came in that last year with one perspective because she she just couldn't get swimmers to stay. And so I came in. And then the next year, I got this really amazing, amazing coach who is now the coach of Berkeley, the swim head coach for the women's swim team at Berkeley, and has been the first female Olympic head coach. And that's Terry McKeever. And she came in, it was her first head coaching position. We had 11 girls. She started with a bunch of out of shape swimmers who just loved being together. And she built us into a team, not by working as hard, although we worked really hard, mm-hmm. but by all the stuff that existed outside of the workouts. And it was all the social, it was all the emotional, it was the cognitive, it was the encouraging of our academic prowess too. And so I had this amazing experience of being young, extremely physically fit, and pursuing all those things and a coach who promoted all those things as well. There's so much that you that you are talking about, Cassie. Oh my goodness! So <laughs> the things that you're touching on, I've never thought about for sports that, that you're mentioning there. That I don't know that the that every coach is playing up. Like I've never heard of a coach talking about mathematical patterns and different things like that. Like how does it? Does every coach bring that stuff up in a practice or do you think, or does, does that just kind of come along naturally? Like when you're swimming, do you think that it's just helpful for a child when they're swimming laps, say for instance, or if they're out running laps around the track, it's going to help them then when they're working on their math homework, does it come that way? It usually comes organically, but because I've got education and recreation and I'm fascinated by the mind-body connection, those are the things that I learned about. And I think that, you know, in high school, we tend to see those people who are coaches are coming from a variety of academic backgrounds. You've got a history teacher who's a football coach. You've got the, you know, the math teacher who's doing the, or the chemistry teacher who's the volleyball coach and all kinds of overlap like that, they don't necessarily have the higher education that I would have as a recreation major. Right. That doesn't mean they can't learn it, but there needs to then be some sort of requirement for training for coaches. And that's one of the things that Project Play is pursuing is that kind of level that every coach needs to have some sort of minimal understanding of the impact of their sport on their students holistically for their whole well-being because you got to train the whole kid. Right. Because when we think of the whole being, that's not a hard concept. <laughs> really. <laughs> right? It's it's not a hard concept and that's like what we're thinking of with optimal wellness. We all need to start thinking of that. Just the mind body connection that optimal wellness that has to be the way you go. And I've never thought of that with sports and learning. Right. That's really amazing to me. And it's really important then at that level for teachers and coaches to work together and not limit a student's ability in any one direction. So, for example, a teacher that gives a tremendous amount of homework 
on the night of a meet. So we have students that are going to be gone. So in Chico, we have to travel in order to compete with other high schools. There is only one other high school in our area. And so we travel at least an hour plus the meet and then an hour home. So it is an all day or at least an all afternoon into the evening experience. And then they also have to stay up to finish their homework when they get home. And sometimes we don't get home till eight or nine o'clock at night. So then there needs to be this ability for the academic side of the equation to work with the coaches to develop, to allow students to experience both of those things to the best of their ability. Mm -hmm. and that means coaches and teachers need to talk to each other. Right. Whereas and in the past, it's always been a little bit of, you know, my fists are kind of bumping against each other. Yes. Back when we had sports. Right. Never <laughs> happen. It was just last year. I remember my son saying like, why this? Why, why did they pile all of this on top of us when this is happening? Because, mm. yeah, they weren't talking to each other. But, right. And it's interesting, too, because when you start getting coaches and parents talking about each other, not in the same room, but just to interview to see where they all their minds are, coaches will say that parents put the pressure on and parents will say that the coaches put the pressure on. But there's also that teacher element. So all of us need to kind of get on the same page with with kids sports, especially for sports with kids under the age of 12 because the average length of time that a child under the age of 12 spends in sports is three years and it really needs to be something that they pursue for a lifetime now when you say that do you mean organized sports or do you mean okay now why organized sports versus just random play you mean as far as staying in it or they only stay for three years yeah i think they only stay for three years because of the pressure. It's just too much. Okay. Have you ever seen the uh, PSA that was created with the videotape of the kid that retired and he went through it? It was, it's kind of a mock PSA or of this kid retiring, but he gives this message that he's this nine-year-old and he um, has this announcement where he's talking to all the journalists and his parents and his coaches and he's got all the microphones and he says it's time for me to retire from sports because I always told myself I would stay in it as long as it was fun it's just not fun and he gives all these messages that you hear professional athletes saying at the end of their career when they announce when they're retiring no I haven't seen that it's on the project play website um under don't yeah they have this campaign called don't retire kid and Kobe Bryant was a big advocate of this program because one of the things that he's discovered from sports and yeah he's got a lot he had a lot of fame and acclamation and and recognition because he has this over-the-top talent but that doesn't mean that all the value that he got from the sport couldn't also be gotten by a nine-year-old and that was discipline teamwork hard work, um, consistency, love for the game, that sort of thing. Those are all things that he still got even as a pro. And that's what we need to produce. That most kids, what they want from a sport is to have fun. They want to have fun without freaking out on the sidelines. Yeah. And as a coach, one of the things, so I'm the assistant coach for Chico High School swim team, and that's girls and boys together. And the woman that is the head coach is one of the high school PE teachers, and she is also a recreation major. Her undergrad, she spent some time in the recreation department at Chico State. And that's how we initially met something like 
25 or 30 years ago. It's ridiculous. But we've known each other a long time and we have this very similar outlook on the importance of activity and participation. And so even though we're coaching the swimmers on the team, then there's some of those swimmers on the team that are really high level. And there's some of those swimmers that come to us for the first time who know how to swim from one end to the other. but they don't really know all four sports or all four strokes and we're teaching them how to do that too so in order but we do have a limited capacity so we can only take 60 yes 60 athletes wow she and i coach yeah and we love to (laughs) one year and if we had a bigger pool We could take more and there would be more. One year we had 80 and we said never again because it was way too crazy. So we scaled it back down to 60 and we stop at 60 now. And so that kind of keeps some people away just at that. And we do have tryouts where they have to be able to swim 500 yards in 10 minutes or less. And now if they do it in 10 minutes and 30 seconds, we usually keep them because we know that with a couple weeks of coaching, they'll probably get under 10 minutes. And we can usually tell when someone has the ability to do that. So if our number is not at 60 and they get to that point, we will keep them. (laughs) But we also looked at the Northern Section CIF, California Interscholastic Federation Swimming Mission. Okay. And it says the mission of the Northern Section Swimming Conference is to provide a comprehensive swim program. So comprehensive. That's just not competitive swim program that teaches student athletes concepts of teamwork, dedication, responsibility, promotion, promoting health, fitness, and the recreational benefits of swimming. So now you could substitute any sport in there. So nothing in there. There is nothing in there about winning There's nothing in there about going on to compete at the college level. There's nothing in there about producing Olympic athletes. Everything about that. And then if you went to that website and looked up all the mission statements and the goal statements that support that mission, there's only two out of two, four, six, nine, 12 goals. Only two talk about representing at a competitive level. I'm so curious when those were written. Do you know? I don't know. But they sound fantastic. I'm, and they are updated. I have no problem when they were written because they, I mean, they just, who wouldn't want those for their kids? Right. Exactly. So with the first thing that we do as coaches in order to promote a more holistic process of the swim team, the first thing that we do is meet with the swimmers who are interested in swimming. And we say, anybody who's just interested, come to a meeting right after school, the first day of school, and we play games with them. We play cooperative games. We play competitive games. We do not get in the pool. We talk about the things that we're expecting, which is more about being a good person and being a good teammate, which also match up with the goals from the NSCIF state mission statement. That's all we do. And we talk about tryouts and we say that the tryouts have a lot to do also with the way you show up as a teammate. How do you produce value by your participation? Not only because you're committed to the sport and because you're fast. What else do you offer? That's part of the triad as well. And then the second thing we do, which is probably even more important, is that we have a meeting with the parents. And we tell them, you're going to be mad at us sometimes. 
because our focus is developing your per your swimmer as a person. And yes, we will work them hard in the pool. And yes, we will teach them how to compete. And yes, we will expect high level of teamsmanship and that sort of thing. But the most important thing that we're teaching your swimmer is how to be a good person and how to be a good member of society. So it's about their character. We want them to leave saying that they had fun, that they learned these lifelong lessons, that they kept swimming because it was fun not because they made it to the Olympics or to college. And you end up with 60 people on this team that want to do this. I want to know, I want to know what thing, what activities that you're doing to draw out, like how, how they are showing up as teammates. I want to know that. And then the second thing I want to know is how these parents are reacting when you tell them <laughs> picturing rabid parents, right. That are all looking for, I'm sorry. Parents. Well, my kid to swim. Yeah. I they know. should be in the scoring heat. Yes. Exactly. yes. I am one too, but darn it. I know, I know how we all are. I want to know how their reaction, what their reactions are when you tell them that. Mm-hmm. So if you could tell us like what activities are you doing to find out how they are showing up? Like, what are you doing? So the first thing that we're doing is just taking attendance. Are you actually showing up? That's important. And we also tell him, you know, 80% of success or whatever the statistic is, is about showing up. So that's part of it. And then we talk about attitude. How do you show up? Right. So are you grumpy? And then you come in and talk to the coach. I had a really hard day. I'm sorry if I have a bad attitude. I just really need to get in and put my head down and swim and just be ignored. Or are you coming in with this happy face? Or are you someone who's gossipy? We're watching all that the first couple of weeks. And we have eliminated people because of the way that they interact with the team. Uh-huh. We have, and we have cut them in the middle of the season too, because of those things. And um, those first two weeks, yeah. Is the team included in any of that? Yeah. Okay. So the very first day, first week, we do a lot of meeting with the students before they get in the water about what we're expecting, what we're looking for, and behaviors and that sort of thing. And then we do a lot of games with them, like in the water, out of the water. You know, Plato, the great philosopher, once said, "You you can learn more about a person in an hour of playing games than you can in a lifetime of conversation. Meaning that if you put a few stressors, which is where the concept of recreation therapy comes from, if you put a few stressors on somebody, you can help develop their character and watch what's in there. How do they solve the problem? How do they communicate? How do they encourage others? Or do they put down others? What do they do when they win? What do they do when they lose? Those are all character indicators. And so we do a lot of either cooperative, group games, individual competitions. How, how comfortable are they interacting? We've enforced the interaction of the year-round swimmers with new swimmers who have never done high school swimming before with those people who are super experienced. We make our entire senior team the captains. We don't pick out one or two. We don't allow our, our swimmers to choose the captains. We the, in, the entire senior class, we meet with the seniors before the season even starts and say, and we develop these team expectations with the seniors and we ask them what do they want from their team this year? Mm. 
And so then we also meet with every swimmer individually over the course of those two first two or three weeks to develop team goals. Mm, collaboration, goals. leadership skills, so much teamwork, so much going on there. Yeah. And every week we have a swimmer of the week and we don't choose it because of their performance overall. There might be a, an event where they just showed up in a bigger way than they have had in the past. Yeah. And, and they did something amazing. Whether or not they won, it doesn't really matter. It's like we had this one girl who her entire high school career wanted to make it to the master's meet at the end of the meet. And that's a time qualifying meet. She never made it. But the last swim meet of her career, she dropped about 12 seconds <gasps> of her 100 yard time. And that's a phenomenal drop. She just gave it everything she had. When she was done, it took her about two minutes of recovery before she could get out of the pool. Oh, I mean, talk about leaving it all in the water. Yeah. And so we gave her swimmer of the week because we have never seen that kind of effort. Oh, before. my gosh. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's humongous. Oh, my gosh. Okay, tell me mm -hmm. about... The parents, like how parents are <laughs> reacting to how Cassie is running her team, how Coach right. Faith is running her team. Yeah, and um, first of all, Danae and I, Danae is the head oh, coach. Oh, yes. Go, sorry, Coach. All the kids call us by our first names. Okay. So we try to make ourselves really approach approachable by the kids because we want to be an access for okay life issues as well as swim issues so that nice. we can walk them through problem solving even you know sometimes as a kid I remember growing up not wanting to tell my parents stuff totally. and going and talking to those people those adults that I trusted especially my high school swim coach totally. and then a couple of teachers that I really loved and respected and talking through the problem with them and then determining whether or not I should tell my parents they of course always said tell your parents and we always say that, yes, you need to tell your parents. Totally. And depending upon what the problem issue is, we'll say you have three days to tell your parents before we step in. Or we just, if it's not critical, we'll say this is your choice. But we recommend you talk to your parents. Yeah. So um, also promoting that relationship between student and parent. So I think that helps us also with parents because they know that that's what, and we tell them that that is one of our, we see that as a part of our role, but also we're going to, you're going to have to trust us. And I understand if you get frustrated and angry and we're certainly welcome to talking to you, here's the ways that you can do that. Don't talk to us during practice. That's not an appropriate time, but here's the avenues for that. And we just set up whatever form of communication works for us. And then um, that doesn't mean we don't have problems. It happens, but we do our best to stay calm and, and, and reassure the parents that your child's well-being is the most important thing to us. And yeah, we're going to push them. So they're good. We're going to put them in events that they don't enjoy because we want them to have success outside of their comfort zone. And you're going to have to trust our ability to do that. Yeah. The thing that works for us in Chico in this way is, first of all, Danae and I have been involved in the swimming community at the club level for probably 25 or 30 years yeah. as coaches on and off Danae for much longer than me, but I've been involved in Durham club and the paradise club and the Chico club. And then a startup club that 
didn't finish, you know, stopped after a while. And I also been in coach. Uh, part of coaching the masters, which is 18 and over. So a lot of the parents are swimmers themselves who still swim. And so they understand the sport. And so we also, and our kids have been involved in the sport of swimming. And so in the world of Chico, the swim community is a pretty tight knit community. So we already have a reputation before we ever set foot on the deck. (laughs) So, So that helps too. Yeah. It does. I can imagine. It's funny when you were talking about that, I had like this far away, like, oh, I, you know, I, everybody probably, again, of a certain age remembers back to their a coach fondly. Like I'm remembering Mrs. Cop at Murray, like, you know, like you just remember back to the way yeah, your coaches relationships used to be. And I don't know that all of them are. I wanted to share a survey answer from kids about what they wanted from coaches. Oh, that would be wonderful. Okay, so here it is. What kids want from coaches, and these are the answers that they gave to researchers. researchers. Respect and encouragement. Mm -hmm. A positive role model. Mm -hmm. Clear, consistent communication. Mm -hmm. Knowledge of the sport. Mm-hmm. and someone who listens mm-hmm. four out of five of those have nothing to do with the sport mm-hmm. that's what kids want when they it's the kind of stuff that almost makes me cry when I think about some of the reaction that children have to experiencing their sport they don't get one two three or five they get a coach who knows the sport but they don't get the rest of that picture mm-hmm. And that's why Project Play is so passionate about coaches training. And that is a national, we have an opportunity right now in this COVID time to rethink sports in general and high school sports in specific. What about creating not only the interscholastic sport experience, but the intramural sport experience, just like at the college level. Those people who are past sport enthusiasts from high school, when they go to college, they have an opportunity to participate in intramurals. And there's so much less pressure. It's all about participation and getting to know people and developing the social part, as well as keeping the physical part of the students healthy. On the college campus, we're big proponents of the intramural scholastic experience. It is important part of being well-rounded as a student. Why not that in high school where there's no pressure? It's just about participation, doing fun things like inner tube water polo. Holy moly, when I did that in intramurals, I had more fun sometimes there than in going to a meet in a sport that I dearly loved of swimming. So those kinds of things at the high school level would be incredibly valuable. And how do we then promote that kind of stuff and use the brain power that we have with our physical education staff and faculty to promote that kind of activity after school and cut back a little bit on the time consuming experience of academics just a little. <laughs> I'm making some academics really scared right now, but there needs to be a more effective balance because if those students then after three o'clock have an hour and a half time to, or just an hour to just blow off steam and then can go home and eat dinner and then do homework, they're going to be more successful. I remember in high school, Leslie, at our high school, 
the athletes had sixth period PE so that they could start their practice earlier. Yes. So we had our academic classes from eight to two yes. and swim practice started at two 30. I was done and home and eating dinner by five 30 or six every single night. Yes. Because they and I had the opportunity you from your family. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So why are we making it more and more difficult for kids to participate in their family time? I don't get that. Actually, you know, I literally, so I participated in a panel this week where they wanted to know from parents, like how distance learning was going and how it was sitting. And so I had asked my son, because I wanted to get his feedback, you know, how is it going for you? And he goes to a school that normally has eight classes, but they've switched it for him. They've switched it, thank heavens, to only four. So, and his feedback was, thank heavens, right? So, and right now there's no sports. So his feedback was, well, I'm really glad that right now I only have four classes. Mm -hmm. That's great. But he said, and honestly, right now, and he's really missing cross country. Mm. But he's like, honestly, right now, I'm thankful that I only have four classes and normally I would have been dying with so much homework and then I would have been going to practice until it gets dark and then Mm -hmm. I would have been coming home and I would have been working on homework until midnight and I would have no time to do anything else. So he said, right now, I feel so much more balanced and he said that word almost like he had no idea what that word was surprised by it he was surprised by it and he said so I feel like right now I have time for other hobbies and he's been doing all these different things that are really fun for him He's been having a childhood. Yeah, and he misses cross country. He loves cross country. He loves to run. And I'm sure when it starts back up, he'll be back out there. But in the meantime, he's Mm -hmm. enjoying this break. It's a mental break. So to what you're saying, it just, you know, we keep saying like, is there a reason that all this is happening? So (laughs) it makes me want to call the Aspen Institute people and say, I'm so glad that you're reimagining this. How do we make this happen? At the same time, like I wonder like what with what you're saying, like, okay, how do you promote that? So I'm trying to picture, okay, school comes back in, kids can really be around each other again, where they're, they don't have to have social distance. I'm picturing water polo in, in inner tubes. That sounds fantastic. But how it's the, so fun. <laughs> oh my God. How do you get their minds to click? How do you make, how do you make that shift? How do you imagine right. that happening? And I'm not, I I'm think, not saying that you have to make it, but like, how, how does it happen? <laughs> right. I think part of that is having the conversation now before yeah. we restart sports. Yeah. And one of the places to do that is at Project Play. They have a summer series, a summer conversation series, which okay. a, with a bunch of national and local leaders in sports and youth sports. And they're also talking about creating a more community-based experience with sports. I mean, if you think about it, those kids who don't, who aren't the higher level of of ability with sports, then they don't play high school. They go to the community rec department for their 
experience. There needs to be an expansion of that type of experience, a robust sport from the national, state, and local level for those kinds of opportunities, facilities, and programs to exist so that more people can participate in them. And there needs to be funding for those people who cannot afford them. And when you think about the sport of swimming, my kids, for me to pay for one of my boys to swim in the club uh, sport of swimming, here in Chico, which is a club I adore. I've been part of the coaching staff for many years on and off. It costs almost $1,600 a year just to show up. $1,600 a year. And that's not a lot compared to other cities. That's crazy. And that doesn't account going to meet, staying overnight, putting in the fees to swim, buying the equipment. And swimming is one of those cheaper sports when it comes to equipment. Right. So how do we get kids who can't afford that to be swimmers? Right. So that's a whole other topic that I could go on to forever. So, but one of the ways that we can help is to enter that conversation. How do we support then making a community-based model, something that uh, to feeds more people and the project play is beginning those conversations. There's a last one for the summer conversation on September 16th. Okay. And it's called The Resources We Need Now. The description of that uh, webinar is what do local organizations need to make community-based sport the dominant model through age 12? And how can other sectors support and collaborate with them most effectively? And you can register and it's free. Okay. It's Eastern time, which I always forget. So I always end up reading the recap. But it's Easter time at noon, so that means on the 16th, it's at 9 o'clock here in California. So I can put, and I will put that in show notes so that we can all check that out. Because, I mean, if we have 39% only of high school students that are moving around in organized sports, that tells us there's a huge chunk of our communities that weren't moving around before based on economic times that we're facing right now, yep. just in the United States. And it, that's not even if we're looking globally. And there's a whole lot of people that are listening to the show now globally. I don't even know what yeah. that looks like. We don't, aren't even talking about sports globally. It's gonna, I think that might change the picture even more so. We need to start talking mm-hmm. about like that. That might be, I wonder, the tipping point for... Right? Like, I wonder, you know, maybe $1,600 for swimming last year worked, but maybe $1,600 for swimming this year isn't going to work. Right. And how do we how do we augment that? There's also another opportunity in October, also with Project Play. They have a summit, mm-hmm. Summit 2020, and it's all virtual. And they have free workshops. The large group meeting they do have a limit on, and I think there is a cost for that, but it's really minimal. Okay. And um, you can register for the workshops. That's October 13th through the 16th. It's October. Okay. Project Play Summit. You should be able to Google that and find it. Okay. So, and in their website they have pages for um, community leaders for coaches for parents for school sports and just a discuss and then coronavirus and how that's affecting school sports so it's a really amazing resource okay go to and learn more okay so kind of I mean wrapping us up I think it sounds to me like reimagining sports 
in a utopian world, in in a teacher slash coach Cassie kind of a world, what do you see? I would like to see more interpersonal training or more social, emotional, cognitive training for coaches, the understanding that there is a minimum level of effectiveness. Okay. That it, it really shouldn't be about winning, although winning is a really wonderful side effect. And mm-hmm. I, 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 of course, I'm, I'm speaking from a, a place of winning, so it's easier for me to say that because our team does win an awful lot. I was lot. just going to say, let's <laughs> talk about your stats because I've heard about your stats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's pretty phenomenal. We had yeah. one group of, of girls who um, two years ago, or maybe it was just a year ago, I think it was just last year. No, last year was their first year in college. So this is their second year in college. So um, students that graduated in 2018, that group of girls never lost a race, not just a meet, but a race. And the boys of that year only lost one meet. Yeah. And so, and they were there for two years. When my oldest was a senior, we won the master's championships with 11 swimmers just 11. And they weren't even the best of the best as far as who was there swimming that day. It was because they had such an amazing over-the-top synergy that they could totally amp each other up and they swam off the charts that day. So there's a whole lot of value in teaching coaches how to create teamsmanship the synergy of how cheering for each other and how not being the star sometimes is more effective in the winning column than actually being the star. So yeah, I'm a, my perspective is a little skewed, but I also know that we would continue to coach even if we weren't winning or even if we weren't paid, we would still be doing this because Danae and I love what we do so much. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the kids probably love having you guys do what you do. Yeah. Like this next Monday, if we're not having swim season, but one of the things that parents traditionally do is feed our, our swimmers a breakfast burrito after early morning swim practice. Yeah. So we're having a burrito drive-by and we're going to hand out burritos to all our swimmers as they drive through. <laughs> yeah. So yes, community is important. And I would say that in the dream world for me, that all coaches would understand that and pursue that. Yeah. Thank you so much for stopping in today. It's been awesome. And I'm going (laughs) to dream of a world where kids are participating in sports for fun and not worrying about dreams of scholarships or Mm -hmm. major leagues or professional. Just go run and play. A sporting world where the sandlot is more the dorm. Remember to check out letsallflourish.com, message me, Leslie Scholl, on Instagram or Facebook Messenger or email letsallflourish at gmail.com. Well, Cassie has my brain spinning as to what the Aspen Institute and Project Play can get going and hopefully fast for you sports while we have this downtime. There is so much we can do with this gift of time right now and uh, hopefully we can get it used. I love that the Aspen Institute is using 
this, and I'm using air quotes, the word reimagine to describe what they are doing because it just makes you think of kids and play. Mm, I love it. I hope everyone's brain is spinning like mine is from this discussion with Cassie because I don't want my brain to be the only one that's on fire. I also hope that you all can take a few moments and go, well, I'm going to put Project Play from the Aspen Institute. I will put a link in show notes for you to peruse because it is fascinating. I also, I really hope that they can get something going during this downtime that we have. There is so much we can do with this downtime. And once you read the report of the data and what they are uncovering. It is really fascinating. I just want to share some of the highlights with you. Cassie mentioned just the cost of swimming, for instance, that she was spending in Chico at about, say, $1,600 a year. We know that our economy has been hard hit just in the last six months. So for instance, this, when this survey was conducted, we also know that Cassie said that only 39% of high school children were playing organized sports, that they were moving around. Also at the time of this survey, one in three parents said it was too expensive for kids to play in organized sports. So that was already, one in three parents were already saying it was too expensive for kids to play. That was before our economy was cratering and we were in worse shape, right, than the depression. So that is eye-opening. Also in the report, free and recreational sports are disappearing, which we all see happening already. You know, as kids were moving on and the ranks were growing and it was turning into travel ball here and travel soccer and everything was becoming, you know, travel, travel, travel and comp this and comp that and everything was going up. You were watching the rec leagues just disappear. We were all watching that happen. So interesting. Travel and on that note... In the report, it also cites that travel is now the costliest feature of organized sports. Hmm. And then equity. There's a a portion in there on equity. Timely for where we are at right now. Sports participation rates for white children exceed that of African American, Hispanics, and Asians. There is no data on American Indians even reported. Youth with disabilities still struggle to find access. Geography and gender are still issues as well. So yes, please take a look at this report and I will put a link to it in show notes as well. If you do not know how to find show notes wherever you're listening to your podcast, it's in the details there. Just kind of scroll down. Good stuff in there. For right now, let's talk about what's coming up with next week's episode. Next week, we will talk with three young men and get their perspectives on youth sports. We always like to do the adult one week and get the youth perspective the next week. So next week, we've got one who has never played any intense youth sports We have one who has been crazy intense as a gymnast, and then we will have another who was also crazy intense as a swimmer, and he's also coached. 
So we've got three different situations as well. We're gonna hear from all three of them. And guess what? They're also brothers. I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. Join us next week.